you also have to deal with the people that committed those crimes and you would also have to interrogate or at least interact with them in some way mm-hmm. how could you even like you would have to be almost uh non-judgmental basically you have to be non-biased and you can't have any real real hate towards them during the interview is that even is that hard to do uh a, a lot of times with escape call them the subject or the suspect uh, when I'm sitting across from them, especially with sex crimes and child abuse. In sex crimes, I'm talking about rapes, um, lewd lascivious type behaviors. You sometimes have to put yourself in the shoe of the person that you're talking to. Um, because if they feel that you're being disingenuous, they can shut down. Um, so in, in, in the case of, let's say, an adult male who has raped a child, as difficult as it is, sometimes you sit there across from that person and you basically tell them how attractive that child was and you can understand why he did what he did. Um, and you'll spend hours trying to gain that person's trust um, by basically agreeing with their behavior in order to get them to make admissions of committing the crime. So it, it does become difficult, um, but then you have to know what triggers certain deviant type behaviors. And as long as you figure what triggers these deviances, then it makes your job a little bit easier. Now, you're not going to win all of them, but you have to recognize that you're working for the victim at that point. Um, and it's in the victim's best interest for you to do your job as best as you can without taking shortcuts. Okay. So how would you describe the atmosphere during the interviews, the inter- uh, interrogations? Like, would you say they are weird? Because you have to you normally have at least one other person, right? Right. And then you you just have to sit across from whoever it is and bring up new ideas and ways to kind of get them to admit a certain thing without making them feel pressured and feeling they have to fall back and shut down. And would you just feel, is the atmosphere like thick, dense, or is it just weird, or is it like more like agitated, or how, however you would describe it? It all depends on the individual. Um, You have to recognize when you're talking to a suspect, you're trying to sell them the idea that going to prison is a good thing. So it's you being a salesperson trying to get that individual to give up their freedom. The suspect is sitting across from you thinking, I'm going to deny everything. he, this person is not going to get me. They don't have enough evidence to get me. And even if they do have the evidence to get, to get me, I'm not going to give them any admissions that will just sink me even further. So, yes, it's strange. You, you're going to be playing this verbal judo for a while. Um, you're trying to, like I said, sell this person that going to prison is a good thing. Um, sometimes you appeal to 
one of the things that I used to do, just to go back, one of the things I used to do, and a lot of detectives do it, is they research who the suspect is before they even start questioning the suspect. You don't always want to go in cold not knowing anything about the person that you're going to question. So by the time you get to talking, you have some idea who the person is that you're talking to. Um, so you, you go in and develop a rapport with that person. Not necessarily talking about the crime initially, just getting to know that person. And if you as a detective want to spill the beans a little bit about who you are, um, some detectives do that. But you want to get a, a back and forth going before you go in hard and fast like you see on, on TV. And I know they do on some of these TV shows where they play good cop, bad cop. That doesn't usually work. Uh, maybe it worked in years gone by, but it, it doesn't usually work because any smart person will figure out so you're the good cop and you're the bad cop. So let's play this game and see what goes on. But in my interviews and my interrogations, if it's my case, I'm the one that's doing the questioning. We don't do the good cop, bad cop thing. My partner is simply there to make sure that everything stays above board. If I miss something, then he or she steps in uh, to ask a question. But it's my investigation and vice versa. If it's if I'm there to back up to another detective, then it's that detective's responsibility to do the interview. I will take notes. Um, basically, if the subject or suspect has answered something that wasn't asked or failed to answer the question that was asked, then I will write a note. And if my partner doesn't follow up on it later on, then I'll interject or I'll pass my notes off to that other detective to follow through on. But good cop, bad cop doesn't usually work. And yes, a lot of times it does get weird. Um, again, because you, it gets weird only because you're trying to sell this person on the idea of going to prison. Okay. So we're out of time. We actually went over time. And I have one final question to you. And I might continue this conversation in another episode. I don't really know, but I don't really care. So, um, would you ever recommend any of the jobs you have done as a police officer to anybody? Like a teenager coming out of high school or a person coming out of college? When I was doing the hiring for the department... Um, I used to go to a lot of job fairs, and a lot of these job fairs were at college campuses. So I was not necessarily there to say, yes, you should become a police officer. I was there to say, yes, it is a fulfilling and worthwhile career. You're not going to get rich in it. You will get comfortable. Um, you will stay comfortable as long as you live within your means. But it's not something I dissuade people from. I always let those who are interested understand that there are going to be difficulties. Um, you will lose friends. You will lose family members just because you be, you've become a police officer. You will gain new, new friends as part of the profession. But you have to always be aware that there are going to be stumbling blocks. It's not all glitz and glamour, and it's not all 
uh, about wearing a uniform and say, yeah, I'm a police officer now, so you have to obey me. Um, I stress to them usually that as a police officer, you're actually less powerful than a homeless person on the street. And sometimes they ask, well, what does that mean? So my point to them is a homeless person on the street uh, steals something, might get arrested, go to jail for a day. Uh, Then he's back out and he's back to being homeless. He's gone back to a situation that he's already familiar with. You as a police officer walking to Walmart, you commit a theft. You're going to go through several different proceedings. You're going to go through a criminal proceeding. You're going to go through an administrative proceeding with your department. You're going to go through a commission proceeding through the, the law enforcement accreditation agency. And ultimately, you might get terminated. So it's going to carry a lot more burden on the officer than the homeless person for committing the same criminal act. So would I recommend it? In this day and age, I wouldn't want for you to do it. Um, But if someone asks me, then I'll tell them the pros and the cons and let that person make the decision on their own. Okay, thank you. And if you want to know more, maybe it'll be in another episode and you'll just have to listen to any any of my episodes. Bye.